National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. NAVA in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. It is the first proper morning of Kayath after a huge opening last night. I'm really lucky to get to chat for a bit with Janina Harding, the artistic director, because it's obviously a huge big deal at the moment. Janina, how are you doing? Now <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see. Yeah, the, the, the crowds are just slowly coming in through the gate. Um, and there's lots to do already. Um, people can get their breakfast, go and sit down and do a weaving workshop. There's traditional weaving um, from Karanda. And there's some lovely, you can learn how to make a, a paper lay. What's a paper lay? A crepe, a crepe paper lay. Oh, a lay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's like the kind of risque thing I should be doing this morning. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Do you think that art fairs in general are actually learning more from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art in terms of, you know, we used to go to art fairs and you would see art. This is actually a chance to not just talk to artists but hopefully use your hands as well. Yeah, you get to um, sit down with the artists, actually learn about culture, learn how, um, learn about their practice, and you get to actually make art in real time with them, which is just fabulous, and take it home. <laughs> I came in this morning and I was chatting with uh, a couple of artists. I was chatting with an elderly couple who travel around just learning more about Aboriginal Torres Strait art, which is fantastic. But then I was also listening to... Um, uh, a couple of artists just talking about their work, you know, with a microphone, people just sort of wandering in and out. And I wonder how, like, it must be, it must be really difficult to sort of, there's, you know, you, you talk about your work with someone kind of nearby, you talk about your work when you're making together. Um, I wonder if it's overwhelming for artists to have so many people here because there really are a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of these artists come from very small communities, yes. um, from the Cape and, and the Torres Strait. So <clears throat> I think. Some of them are used to the crowds because they've been Kayaf, you know, so many times. I mean, this is our ninth year, um, <clears throat> so they are used to um, talking in public. But many, it's maybe it's their first time, but um, they get a lot of um, support from their from their fellow artists, yeah. and I guess from out from just being, you know, amongst the community and feeling proud of their who they are and um, just sharing their culture. And you were saying it's the ninth one, the tenth one next year and there was so much talk last night about how you know this one's amazing next one's going to be huge and and, and what is meant what it's meant not just culturally but also as was said a lot last night in terms of tourism for, for for cairns i mean aside from the sort of dollars of that impact how do you think it's changed the way that cairns sees itself culturally as a center as a as a magnet as a leader you know i think a lot of um regional i guess a lot of cities you know you don't even have to say um, regional cities like Cairns, I mean, a lot of capital cities, all, they all pride themselves on, you know, the culture is sport. So I think we've got a very progressive um, council, regional council. Yeah, great. Um, and the community here, you know, the, the general community, the wider community are very, um, I think they're just used to Kayaf now. Um, and we, we've kind of opened it up, not just here at the at the terminal, the Cairns Cruise Line Terminal, but there's other venues across the city that... Um, a part of Kayaf. So there's this whole partnership going on in um, in other places. So, mm. you know, it's a lot of it's word of mouth in a small town like this. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's how 
the message gets spread. Um, oh, you know, a bit of media, you know, goes a long way as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's really exciting for, for Cairns to actually have an event like this. Oh, hugely, hugely. Mm. We're going to go to a talk after this, and I'm, I'm itching to hear um, from a whole bunch of different artists. But tell me about, it's, it's fantastic that, that Kaya has you at the helm, but what, what has led you to here? <laughs> I wanted a bit of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, being born and bred in Melbourne, I'd come to Kaif actually from from its uh, from the very beginning. I'd been coming to yeah to, to the fair, um, and then somebody approached me during a Melbourne festival event, and um, he was actually the chair of of Kayaf at the ah. time. And he said, "Oh, we can't. Can you help me out? We can't seem to find an artistic director for Kaya. <laughs> Why don't you apply for it?" And I'm like, "But I've already got a job." And then, I don't know, we just talked about it for a little while longer and um, eventually I threw my hat in in the ring and um, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> we need friends like that. Sometimes yeah. we don't sort of see how, you know, what we've done fits into different contexts and being mm. an artistic director, I mean, there's, there's, there's relationships and there's like kind of having that, that sense of, of, of the whole and there's working with artists as well. I mean, it's interesting that, um, and this would just you know, I think make increasingly more sense in a contemporary art context, but obviously makes a lot of sense in a, a First Nations context, but that sense of where art form boundaries begin and end mm. is not necessarily, you know, a, 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 a clear-cut thing, and I just see it's so expansive here. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's, it's all... The, the base is, is culture. Yeah. That's what brings people together. That's what makes the art. I mean, if without that, there would be no art because that's all part and parcel of who we are. Um, is our culture so, and it, it, and the thing about the artists is they they're really comfortable in in um, finding new ways to create. So they like to do a bit, you know, they experiment experiment with other mediums and stuff like that, which is fantastic. Um, just when was it earlier this year? We went was it March? I think I took a group of um, Arakoon artists who people might know. They 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 they're famous for the coo dogs. They're like the rock stars of the coo. <laughs> Um, the camp dogs, and we took them camping. Like they haven't a lot of the time when you're living in a community, you don't have the means to get out and um, go on country. Yeah. So we had enough money to be part of this project, and we ran some workshops for them. And part of that was um, to actually document and teach them how to take photographs. So, you know, and there's an exhibition at the at the Tanks Art Centre. On oh, now, yeah. and you'll get yeah. I have to go and see that. Yeah, you'll have to go and see it. <laughs> and that's fascinating from like from a practice point of view as well, because you sort of you would use a range of tools mm. as a mm. as a as a maker as an artist, then you're given something else. I'll be fascinated to know kind of you know next year, year after, how that affects um, how they see their own work. If you're not if you're not being used to you know um, a camera as being your tool as an artist. That's right. So they. Yeah, and they got to keep the cameras. I mean, they're only those little digital cameras. Um, mm. And so they, the art set sort of holds them for them. But any time they want them, they want to go and experiment and walk around Arakoon or wherever they, there's the local swimming hole and whatever, they can take the camera and take some... Just get that practice up. I mean, they were given a, a short short tips on how to... Um, little course on how to, you know, the composition and all that kind of oh, stuff, yeah, of, yeah. you know, <laughs> of taking a, a, a decent photograph. And that sense of, like, that being a, a fixed perspective, you know, yeah. as opposed to what, what you'd be looking at, you know, more broadly in, in just being in, in, in a particular place that you've known for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and they really got to appreciate um, 
the finer things like, you know, taking a photograph of a leaf or a, or a flower and that kind of stuff. So they really got into it, which was just a, it's a, it was a beautiful thing to see. I saw Naomi Hobson's um, award-winning photography, The Warrior Without a Weapon, mm. and then nearby uh, the work of uh, Erebarts, and that was where the, the elderly couple I was mentioning earlier, they were talking about travelling around regional Victoria and just uh, seeing places like that where people lived, and but now fewer and fewer of them. And so they kind of stopped and, and said uh, that this brought back memories for them and how important that was, but also how strange it was then to see it in a sort of a, you know, a gallery exhibition context. Like, it's just, you know, um, the, what what the framing of art does to our perspective and, um, and I guess, you know, the different different cultural objects. Like, it's, it, it, it's surprising, but it also, it resonates with us and it teaches us things. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's the beauty of, of Kayak, is it, it's, it's, it is basically a platform for, um, for artists to come and share, share their culture. Um, and it, it gives people a taste of what's really out there. I mean, you don't necessarily have to, if you haven't got the means to go to Cape York or the Torres Strait, you can come to Kayak and actually meet the artists, you know, find out where they're from. Um, there's maps everywhere to give you an indication of where that. they are. <laughs> yeah, you need to know. Like yeah, where they're actually yeah, based, because it's yeah, a big country. It's like, sure far is. north Queensland, like the Cape is, is huge. And there's so many different languages. There's so many different um, cultures, you know. You've got the, the, the central, you've got the west, you've got the central, and you've got the, the east. Um, and then you've got the tip, which is um, mixed with Torres Strait as well. So, you know, places like Bamiga and Stacia. Um then you've got, of course, you've got the Torres Strait, and even that's different again because you've got, you know, the Central Islands, and you've got the, the, the Eastern Islands and the Western Islands. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, amazing. All right, let's go and meet some more artists, Janina. Thanks so much. This busy time for My... taking the time out to chat. <laughs> My pleasure, Esther. <laughs> I am here at the Griffith University Queensland College of the Arts, Bachelor of Contemporary Australian Indigenous Arts, Dan. I was just chatting with Aidan when Bianca came along as well and I just thought how fantastic to get to chat with both of you. Bianca, you have just curated. Yes, I've just curated the Mile Creek Massacre exhibition down at Neurom, um, which is in Armidale, if anyone knows. Yes. Tell us about that show. Um, the exhibition was really about, well, it, was about it was a two-year project really, so it started off with artists in residencies, with, with five of the artists travelling back and forward. I, we did two different residencies, um, working on site and working with community. So the first residency was very much about touching base, um, dealing with learning, you know, meeting members of the community and doing that sort of consultation and building those relationships so that when the artists went back to Brisbane they were able to continue contact. And then the second one was really about coming in and working on our ideas, collecting ochres, um, working on site. I mean, I know Judy Watson did huge amounts of work out on the site, out there, you know, rubbing charcoal and, and dirt into her canvases that ended up in the exhibition and, and kind of doing video works and that, that became a really big major part of the show as well. And so the, the exhibition was really very much about um, acknowledging, celebrating and, and kind of mourning um, Aboriginal massacres and particularly you know the history of Mile Creek but the show's actually called Mile Creek and Beyond and so the idea of Beyond was also really important because we wanted to make that conversation broader than just um, you know this is, it didn't just happen here it happened right across Australia so you've got artists like Julie Goff in the exhibition who are talking about massacres in, in Tasmania of course so then there was also um, 
you know, other art, more contemporary artists like Robert Andrew and Warabar Weatherall, they were also talking about the conversation in a broader context, looking at ideas of hidden histories and Aboriginal control and surveillance and, and kind of, you know, the, the way that Aboriginal people are actually currently still treated and looked after, looking at deaths in custody as, as an issue that's ongoing as a form of massacre, you know, that's sort of hidden and, and unknown. So, yeah, so there was, the artists in the show were, were Warabar Weatherall, um, Robert Andrew, Laurie Nelson, Judy Watson, Fiona Foley, um, Julie Goff, Carol McGregor, who did this amazing possum skin cloak, working with the descendants of the survivors of the massacre as well as some of the descendants of the perpetrators. So it was a really important process for healing and, and reconciliation in that particular um, work. And then there was a local artist, Colin Isaacs, who is a um, <coughs> he's the artist that kind of really made all the artwork that's actually out at the um, memorial site. So he's kind of known as the Mile Creek artist by the local community. He's from Inverell. What an extraordinary gathering of artists to start with. Yeah. And that possum skin float sounds like yeah. it would have been just the most emotionally tumultuous but incredibly important work. To yeah, oh, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, and the community were just so proud of the work. Oh, the other thing too, there was another community project by Koalia Knox and um, Tim Laha and David Laha, and it was a music project. They went out in schools and talked about the massacre to the schools and, and they created this music piece that was um, response to the students' responses and kind of, you know, so it was this, this song, this, this very beautiful song and they performed it at the opening and they performed it at the opening of the symposium as well. So it was kind of good to get out there and of course it's on YouTube so people can kind of look at it and, and that's another kind of element because you know, we thought it was really important to really bring community together, start talking about it in, in positive ways as well and, and you know, again about healing and, and this year the number of people that turned up to the memorial was, was huge, it's gone from it went from about 300 to about 1200. So there was a huge big a lot of people on the fourth day because it was a four day program. And so on the fourth day, there was a lot of people there all celebrating, mourning, you know, paying their respects. It was quite phenomenal. And that public memorialisation is so important. I was talking to Fiona Foley recently about, obviously, her work in public space and that great frustration that you can be invited as an artist to develop work that is about local story and memory and local trauma yeah. and then suddenly find that the processes sort of, you know, kind of change that and suddenly you're telling a different story because you're not encouraged to draw out the truth. I mean, that's, I guess that's one of the great, um, um, it's what it's what the gallery space makes possible, yes. that we can tell those truths. Absolutely, and it's, you know, it, and, and that was a big part of the whole um, curatorial sort of thinking with me was I wanted artists that were going to do it in really, really powerful ways, but also not trigger trauma because, you know, that's the other thing we kind of have to think about is, is these, these are hard stories, they're difficult stories, but art also has this beautiful way of being able to kind of transcend the horror and the grief, and, but, you know, it can really hit people really, really hard. I mean, there was some really important people at the opening that just sort of came up and went, wow, you know, this is just... Yeah, it was just, it was a bit of a roller coaster of emotion as well. So, you know, you had this really hard hitting stuff of Fiona Foley's work, and then you kind of, because she had this, this almost 10 meter long trough full of ash, 28 pairs of shoes, and seven hoods, uh, sorry, no, nine hoods, sorry, that represented the, um, the perpetrators. And yeah, so it was, it was really, really powerful, you know, the work, very simple, 
but you know and that's the thing I love about Fiona's work she can just do it so well and just precise it's just boom she just delivers and she was you know absolutely wonderful to work with you know as a part of the process because she just walked in and goes this is what I'm doing boom 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 and I'm like wow you know and I said yeah I knew you would deliver um, so you know those sorts of things were just you know there was this, this powerful and then there was these softer reflective spaces as well so you know and Laurie Nielsen's work was really um, quite aggressive and in your face but you know that was kind of the way he wanted to go he just wanted again kept it simple it was just a chopping block with uh, this massive big cleaver now our conversation began yes. earlier when I was chatting with Aidan and then yeah. I was astounded to learn that he was your son because yeah, <laughs> some kind of fountain youth I'm just I'm, I'm startled and Aidan was telling me about just kind of formally starting out as an artist I guess you would have had um, you know given your upbringing and given that strong engagement to culture and, and the re-engagement with family stories um, uh, practicing culture has been part of your life but now you're formally engaged yeah. in a course tell me about that it sounds quite unique well it's like honestly so far it's just been an, a great experience just in general um, like I've grown up around uh, like in the art, arts world and stuff thanks to my mum and I, like I've grown up like interested in it and at first I wasn't actually um, planning to even go to uni but last second I sort of was like what's the point of not doing it and I came into um, the Kaya course and so far it's just been a great experience in general because it it's not just an arts course like the entire um, Kaya group we're all like a family I feel where um, we're all going through the same experiences in like reconnecting with our family learning about our origins and it's just it's honestly just such an important experience I feel it, um, like education, of course, uh, yeah. can be transformative, and it can be done well, and it can be done in a way that you know that doesn't, um, I guess, uphold the kinds of practices that are most valuable and most. I mean, you know, there's the history of colonisation yeah. today about different kinds of education that um, formalise, I guess, um, or that train us into a certain mode of being. And in the past few decades, but more and more recently, um, and in, in, in more recent times, um, education, uh, education providers are listening to elders and to community, but also understanding there's many different ways to learn. Yeah, definitely. Um, just like talking about, like, it, there's just been more conversation as well. Um, recently, I've felt, um, like, going through schooling, there was, like, that really one-sided point of view that was um, always taught, but also going through schooling I saw the change in that as well like um, for example learning like learning in primary school there was it was like colonize, uh, colonization and you know just the one like one-sided oh you know they handed over the land <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it was just like oh they, they come they came over and handed over the land and then no, but then um, going through high school and his like doing history in high school, um, it was a lot more truthful and it actually sort of explained it, uh, what actually happened a lot more and I feel like that was just, it, it, was, it was really valuable for me personally, like because 
I wasn't expecting to see that at all. I've, I've heard stories of other schools and stuff, you know, still, even in high school level history, um, hiding, you know, what actually happened, <laughs> happened still. But, I think education at all levels, yeah. especially for younger kids, should trust kids to understand that there's more than one way of seeing things. Yeah. You used to get frustrated even in year five with them telling not the truth, you know? And I mean, this child grew up with people like, you know, Richard Bell and Vernon Arkey and stuff, yeah. you know? And, and so, of course, he was going to know the truth, wasn't he? You know? <laughs> and a bit more when you're talking about Richard Bell's work. <laughs> that man's a phenomenon. We, I had the great joy of getting to record a nice long podcast conversation with him just when I started this job actually was the, 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 the first conversation that I got to um, record and he sort of, he turned on this device and there's kind of a formality that kicks in and Richard's like, ah, we need to fucking change this this is what needs to happen and when I think about like where education is going now but also I guess the way that curatorial practice um, I guess is about instilling different kinds of thinking, you know, as we enter a space, you know, why have these objects been chosen, what is the story, but also what is it going to mean when you engage with that space. Um, and we started talking earlier about this images of, of Aidan stuff on the wall there, uh, and he talked about different kinds of art forms, that, of course, the practices that, that you're now taking on. And of course, that changes our thinking as well. Thanks for talking to me. I can yeah. see that there are going to be other people who want to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my name's Lalania, Lalania Tusa, and I'm from the Gugi Yalanji tribe in Mossman, far north Queensland. My name is Janice Walker, the mother of Lalania, and I am a traditional elder in the um, Gugi Yalanji tribe in Mossman also. So I am here with Janice and Lalania, and we're in the market stall, I guess, part of Kayak. Kayak is huge. There are uh, there is so much to look at, and I've just been my eye has been drawn by the colours of work, the deep colours of, of the crafting, and also the feathers uh, in the earrings that Melania has crafted. So tell me about those. Are these feathers that you have found? Because um, they're just stunning. They're beautiful, aren't they? Yes. So the feathers. I have a few Torres Strait Island pigeon feathers that um, family members have collected for me um, and also turkey feathers and peacock feathers and then your plain bird feathers so the pigeons and all the different types of birds yeah they're beautiful I came up with the idea um, of then painting Aboriginal dot work and Aboriginal designs onto some of those so that's why you'll see a few with some and a few without and then mixing the colors together and because they're light as well on your ears you don't even know that they're there which is really good yeah, I tend to wear, as people know, some very large, heavy earrings. Yes. Today, they're fairly light by comparison. But, but Janice, tell me about how, um, I guess, um, the things that you've made with your daughter or together or apart over the years, um, how has that affected or influenced the, the work that you've both brought here today? Um, I just think that um, we bring a variety, first up, of... Um, I think the works, but I'm a sewer, I love sewing, and so I've sewn um, 
the dolls and dressed up the dolls today. And um, and I love um, experience. Yeah. So I like exper uh, um, experimenting with my sewing. And I thought, well, why not dress up dolls for Kaya? And Lalania paints them up. So, so that was my thing for Kaya. But I guess I'm with Lalania's paintings around here, but on the rainforest, she's done a lot of rainforest painting. She asks me about stories from the rainforest, and I guess I just give her some ideas, you know, because um, growing up in the rainforest and and, and, that, um, and she's she's really good. She takes on most of what I, what I tell her and put it down in art form. So you've mostly told uh, stories as a sewer, but how else have you told stories to each other, but also in family and on country? Well, um, it's an everyday, all day, I guess, yeah. where um, I have grandchildren at home, so Lelania's children are listening all the time, learning the language, and um, I want to instill as much as I can while I'm... I don't live with Lelania, but whilst I'm, I'm down here, because uh, my grandchildren are here, I like to, to pass on a lot of, a lot of um, uh, stories, I guess, and the culture while I'm here. And then they come and visit me up there, and so I teach them a lot about up there too. So, so um, there's, there's a lot to learn about the Aboriginal culture. It, it's just so big, I guess, that you'll never ever... The kids will never learn everything about it, you know. But that's the most dazzling thing, isn't it? When you feel like, and you know, and you are raised with that strong sense that there is more to your culture than you will ever know. And I just think that's so expansive and so important for young minds, mm. for all of us, mm. obviously. That's right. What, what age are the kids? Uh, so my boys are 11. 16, 17 and 18. Yes, they're a bit of a handful at the moment being teenagers. Wow. But they're one, I, one at that age. Yeah, it was enough. Without three. The last three years have been a challenge, I can tell you now. Oh my goodness. And they all speak language? Yes, so they um so we speak we so bits and pieces of it. With our history, a lot of it, you know, is passed down orally, so we missed out on a lot of it because of the history of, of our area and of our country I guess but um, mum still teaches the boys and yeah she's really mum speaks her language um, the language of the LNG really well and understand so we understand it more I guess me and my sons than speaking it as well but going back also to um, the sewing um, with mum she's very good seamstress and when she, um, as part of Australian history with the Stolen Generation, so mum was taken away from her family um, and put into the girls' dormitory in Daintree um, from her mother and father because of um, the colour of her skin and all of um, being under the act and, and exemption of the history. But then she was sent to Townsville after that until the age of 16 to live with a white matron, Sister Marbach, that she still has contact with. And the, um, I guess the most important thing that mum's taught me through that experience is that um, Sister Marbach taught her how to sew and um, taught her how to go to work and how to um, really guided her through her teenage years 
um, to, you know, do um, jobs as ironing and jumping on a bike and going to school and then going to her after school job. And then she's now um, used that um, experience that a lot of people could take um, the other way, you know, to being taken away from your family. I couldn't imagine my sons being taken away from me. And they're all different shades of colour, their skin, um, because of that reason. But um, so I think it, the resilience that mum has shown us throughout um, our lives of taking the good out of exp bad experiences and turning it into something good and her sewing skills, you know, she's got that um, sister Marbeck as well to thank for, you know, and, and the work ethic came up. Is that, does that sum yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah, I think we, uh, I, I have personally taken um, what good, you know, the good from the bad experiences, there's always good that comes out of it, you know. So I don't focus on the bad. That's right. And uh, I don't want to hand that down either to uh, my uh, grandchildren or children. Um, and the other thing is I want them, I wanted to instill in the most important thing, and I do it all the time, that I instill in them that they're traditional owners from the Guguyalanji. You don't wait till you're old to become a traditional owner. So they already know their territory, you know, their country, that's what we say, their country and their lands. And so, and and even though they might go um, to, to other schools, I always tell them, when you get up, you say, who you are, where you're from, because that's their identity, and so they won't get lost in 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 the world. No matter where they go in the world, they will know that they are traditional owners of the Gugialanji. It's such an honour to hear you say all of this because that's um, the way that. Um, the way that that happened in your childhood, you've drawn on that resilience, you've mm. made those stories into the good, into your stories, and then now the way that you've taught your children mm. and grandchildren, you're creating um, such a deeply important strength. Um, so very, very big respect to you, Auntie. It's been very, very wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.